Radio. This is Catholics Read on Cradio.org.au. Welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And in this episode, we are reading, uh, what's his name? Atlas Huxley's Brave New World. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so Brave New World. Um, it's, uh, I guess it's pretty uh, influential. It, it's a classic. Uh, it's a classic. It's a classic it's a dystopian. Uh, Luke's got the new vintage version, which... We found that quite funny. Yeah. Uh, quite <laughs> the new funny. vintage version. Yeah, quite, uh, the quite... Hilarious concept. Um, I have my edition that I read when I was in year 12, and this is one of my texts in year 12, my final year of high school. And um, Victoria has a very nice hardcover copy. With Gorgeous her. hard copy from the local library. Yeah. It's all very... Um... It's very cool, actually. It I is like cool. the... with a hipster photo of Huxley on the front, <laughs> which but, like, is... and it's also like in that kind what of nineteen sixties, nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties television tube. <laughs> well, that's how they color. That's out. how they colorized black and white. It's a black and white photo originally, so that's how they colorized it. Mm, it's very because there's a technical way to grade the coloring, yeah. and it ends up looking like black that. Black and white's pretty awesome. Yeah. But anyway, aside anyway, from... Anyway, covers. We've done this before. <laughs> yes. We've talked about our covers on our books. Mainly um, because I think there's a lot in this book and we're not sure where to start. Yeah, so um, let's just start with... Oh, actually, what we were going to start with was just a heads up. Mm. Um, we're a minute and a half into this, so um, just a heads up. Um, we haven't actually done this for a book before, no. um, which is interesting. But I did want to give a, um, a bit of a content warning that there are some... Um, Pretty confronting themes confronting and events in this. And scenes. Yeah, without, so without spoiling the story for you, there's, um, yeah, there's, some, you know, uh, there's, what, a bit of domestic violence in here, there's... Uh, well, let's put it this way. It was um, banned from certain states... Uh, on charges of pornography at one point. Well, we'll yes, but that's by 1930 standards, mind you. So it, I think that was it, that, that case, I think, was oh, in the 60s. okay. Well, um, even still by 1960s American standards. Yeah. So, um, but just, even just the some of the ideas and themes in it, I I felt quite sick sometimes reading some of the yeah, more, it's like, scientific yeah, like, procedures way, and things. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be really, really confronting. In the same way that Harper Lee, Harper Lee's um, To Kill a Mockingbird is really confronting okay. for the violent racism that does, like, really upset some people, uh, this book could also potentially do the same as well. So, yeah. so it's, it's just nothing... A bit of a, yeah. Just a bit of a heads up that by, I guess, what the average Joe on the street would is say, exposed to these it's days. probably not... Oh, much. definitely. But nice. I would say that I had to skim read some bits personally, um, so that possibly gives you a bit of a, a bit of an idea. Um, but anyway, I don't want to risk probably our content ju- rating on on iTunes podcasts, so we won't go into exact- uh, into any yeah. more um, things. But nonetheless, um, Kiara, do you want to give us a? Oh, man, we're already three minutes in. A two minute summary of the plot of Brave New World. Okay, so the way the book goes is that essentially he opens the book by describing the world and the way it begins, which is in a labor- in a fact- factory laboratory where they produce human beings. Mm. They produce all classes of human beings from alphas who are the 
you know, most intelligent, most good looking, most, you athletic. know, yeah, athletic, you know, perfect human beings. And they are sort of, you know, the upper class and the gentry of this world and all the way down to epsilons. Epsilons. Yeah, yeah. all the way down to epsilons, which are basically human beings that are de- that are intentionally deformed to serve particular function, manual functions. And, um, you know, and then, you know, from that point, he launches into this... Um, there's a tour of the factory going on, I believe. And so from that point, he follows several characters, um, Bernard Marx and Helmut's Holt. Yes, he, he doesn't yes. make a huge... No, 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 no. no. They, they, they come in and out, and you know, then there's some, there's some women in there too. There's Lenina and Fanny, and there's some stuff. You know, the stuff happens essentially. They go out to this reservation where human beings live as they once did. Yeah. This is set about five. This is set like five hundred years into the future, in like twenty fifty something, twenty five something. Yeah. So where you know humans live like you know normal human beings, um, and they pick up and they meet this um, this savage, uh, you know, quote to unquote. Quote yeah, yeah, to quote the book, uh, named John. And he is the son of one of the people who lived in the Brave New World, who then ended up stuck on the reservation and had a kid, uh, had a kid who was John, and then ended up drinking herself to death. Hence, uh, and then sort of, yeah. So then, they, so they try and civilize. So then they try and civilize this savage John, and John doesn't take to it too kindly, and ends up going off, uh, so to speak. And he makes it tries to make himself a living in Surrey, and it doesn't end too well for him. He gives into despair, and yeah, I think we'll sad ending that. there. Spoiler alert. Um, sad ending there. Spoiler that's a very alert. Spoiler alert. But I guess yeah. So the story, yeah, I guess follow. That's very good. That was about two and a half minutes, I think. Yes. Um, <laughs> What do we talk about? There's a lot. There is a lot to this book um, that, that we could potentially talk about. I guess um, something that wasn't mentioned there was that John, um, because John is the son of um, of people from civilization of a woman, yeah, of a woman, uh, of a woman which is unusual. Firstly, um, is that first of all, he's um, so the, he ter- had the term mother is a heinous swear word. In this society, yeah, um, it's it's weird. It's they weird. they think it indecent and vulgar to even con- to the like- point that Bernard, when he's writing report a report for the M O T H E R. Well, he doesn't even Mother. he just puts M dash. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. M dash. Yeah. And then the, okay. the world, the um, one of the world controllers, um, who we'll talk about in a moment. Um, like scoffs at himself and is like, you don't think that I can handle that book <laughs> while he's reading this. Well, in the the radio, um, oh, the, just... the, dram- the dramatised version yeah. that I listened to uh, to supplement my lack of reading the whole of this book, <laughs> sorry about that, um, they obviously they couldn't do M-dash, so they, at one point this guy was just spelling out the word okay. mother and it okay. just sounded so, it sounded so strange to our ears, so, yeah. but... It, yeah, they, they're yeah. all screaming when they hear this because yeah. it's so indecent and vulgar to mm. talk about the family, to talk about the home, to talk well, about reproduction, about, yeah, to, talk, to talk, talk about, about anything. The fact that humans actually, you know, grew babies in their wombs and, you know, reproduced by all that sort of yeah. stuff rather than doing it in a laboratory, <laughs> which is clean and sterile and mm. all that, you know. But you John, get exactly what you wanted by the end of it. John, John interestingly, um, has... He, he obviously learns uh, multiple languages given that he's brought up um, uh, in reading the vestiges Northern of... America and in Northern American part of the desert, I'm guessing. 
um, where you still have a number of Native Americans um, living there who are not part of the Brave New World civilization, you could say, because they don't consider it to be worth it trying to civilize that area. Um, but he, he of course, speaks English um, and is able to, uh, is given a, a book that his mother's not particularly interested in because she's conditioned to not be interested in this kind of thing. Um, just an aside, that's their learning process. They spend their childhood being conditioned in their sleep and that kind of thing. Um, and it's the complete works of William Shakespeare. <laughs> and so he reads this and is just fascinated by it, um, that it gives him a kind of language, even though he doesn't understand it as much. He can tell, it's kind of like the words are able to speak to him on an emotional level. Um and this kind of forms his character um, because he isn't like the other people uh, on the um, where where he lives. Obviously, because he's the child, he's white, uh, and he's the child of, of a white woman um, who is not very. I don't get the se- actually. You know, I, I I don't get the sense that this is like a Native American reservation in the sense that it's, it's racially. Not- no, no, it's, it's in Mexico, like- isn't it? It's it's Is not it? yeah. It's, I thought it was in Mexico. Yeah, look, okay. it, it's it's a little bit. It's I a, just got it's that a little bit. Wrong. I mean, the whole the whole th- it's it's not. I guess strict- the term Native American would still apply. Yeah, but it's not a racial thing per se. So it's not a, it's not so he, much a they racial. They do specify though that he's very unusual because he has blonde hair. Well, yeah, he might, that could be unusual because he has blonde hair, but that doesn't necessarily mean that okay, he's, okay. you know, that it's that it's a racial se- racially segregated it does, kind it of thing. It does seem to me that like that civilization there is a bit of a mix of, of a lot of different things. Well, that... it's not it, well, it's not refined and civilized like London is, so to speak, which obviously reflects Huxley's house... Anyway, anyway. Yeah, well, no, no, well, no, 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 but when they but you, you stand you stand from the perspective of this culture, they still have babies. They're not refined and civilized. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, they 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 could still have a functional society like what we have today mm. and have things like electricity and running water when we sat, you know, when the way that these people class John and his society as uncivilized is not probably not the way okay. we would classify ourselves as uncivilized. There yeah. is that that there is that section though in the book where um, what's his name Bernard is talking to or Bernard uh, is talking to Lenina and says that He's you know really annoying, Bernard. get all uh, get all the luxuries you can can in the hotel because there won't be all of this when we go to the Savage Reservation. I get the, yeah, but, but like, the luxury is like soma, which is no, there. no. I'm pretty sure he's talking about like electricity and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I got the, I got the impression that it was, hmm. it wasn't like today or even like civilization, like Western civilization of the 1920s. I got the impression that it was like what we would say today are people who are living, um, what's that word? Um, what's the word for like people who hunt and gather? Oh, subsistence. No, subsistence. Yeah. I got the impression that there was a bit of a subsistence living going yeah. on there. Oh, my had... memory my memory must be... I, I skipped that part. I just anyway, went to the end. But anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, because I've read this several times a long time ago, but um, I must have... Um, my memory of that must be fading a bit. Um, anyway, yeah. So what I would be interested to talk about, actually, is um, one of the main things... In, or one of the things that I found quite interesting is... Um, at the end of the, t- towards the end of the book, you have this, um, John tries to lead this kind of really, really, really small rebellion, um, with, with her, is it hermits? Is that, 
It's helmets. Helmets. Um, where they... John kind of just gets sick of seeing people addicted to Soma because that's how his mother dies. Yeah. Um, and From so he, he's just over it. And so he goes... Um, there's a group of uh, uh, Deltas, uh, who, which is one of the classes. One of the um, lower classes. One of the lower classes. And he starts chucking, like, they're having their Soma... Did we explain what Soma is? No, that? we haven't no. explained Sorry, what Soma is. Sorry, Soma is basically a, a hallucinogenic drug um, that they take in the future that has no side effects. Yes. Uh, well, actually, no, it does have side effects. They have respiratory shutdown if they have it too much. But for the most part, it has no side effects. Um, yeah. That, that probably, we probably don't need to explain it any more than that. Um, so he's sick of this, and so he starts chucking the soma. Oh, and, but of, if you should mention that the soma is encouraged and distributed by oh, yes, the, yes, go- yes, the government society. Yeah, everybody gets rations. And so he tries to lead this small rebellion and chucks it out. The people are not too impressed about him chucking out the soma. Yes, um, the and so and the starts a small riot. Yeah, and he gets arrested. Everyone gets and arrested. And is taken to the world controller. Uh, His name is Mustafa Mond. He's got a great name. Great name. Mm. He's named Mustafa Mustafa comes from apparently the guy that um, was the president of Turkey after the First World War. Some ah, Mustafa Ataturk. I think named after Ataturk. Transition between the Ottoman Empire and no, he was a dictator. No, no, this isn't a transition. Uh, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk was the dictator of. Um, Turkey for mm. a long time and enforced a type of secularism. On- I yeah. don't know. I know very little about. Yeah, and the he ba- he's basically credited state, with so. So, with secularizing Turkey. So he okay. did things like banning the hijab and making the Turkish Turkey switching the Turkish alphabet to Latin rather than to. Okay. So yeah, a bunch of a whole bunch of other things, and he's revered in Turkey. Mm. And um, the current president is trying to be. Uh, the next Ataturk, but he's mm. that that's politics for another time. Um, well, that's apparently who he's named after. Oh, there you go. I didn't realize that. Huh. Anyway, he's the world controller. There are ten world controllers in Brave New World uh, of Western Europe. So he visits him, and they have this kind of debate because Mustafa represents... Um, he's someone who, in a sense, is a little bit like John in that he has this curiosity about the world that goes beyond his conditioning. Yes. Um, well, because John doesn't have he, any he conditioning. Was, John doesn't have... Exactly. John doesn't have any conditioning. And Mustafa did have this as a young person. And he was a physicist. Uh, and he wanted to try and push to see, you know, where he could take science. This didn't play well because it affected stability, which is the primary goal of the of the world of, of Brave New World, um, which is stability. Um Mustafa tells John about how he was uh, he was given options. He could either be sent into exile on an island um, where he would meet all the other interesting people who are in exile, or <laughs> he could basically work for the uh, the world controller's office or something along those lines uh, and potentially become one of the world controllers, which he does um, because he's a, obviously a highly intelligent and capable person. And so he's read Shakespeare. He's read all... Like, he knows where John's coming from. And yet, he has this argument, this kind of debate. It's kind of like the two worldviews coming to a clash mm. between John's, I guess, very um, poetic, emotional, heartfelt um, worldview uh, in which he's experienced his mother die and no one seems to care. 
Um, you have people, these people who are going through what's called, um, what is it, death conditioning or something death like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they basically, they basically take death. children at age two and, like, stick them in the hospital where the dying are and yeah, feed them ice cream every time someone dies. Like, it's, it's horrible, it's horrible. Yeah. But it's... the, um, where he's gone through this and, like, no one seems to care that his mother's died and, anyway, he, um, him on one side and Mustafa on the other side who represents this, no... Um, we need to have stability in this. Why? Because, and this is where the debate comes in, is that uh, John's saying, well, we've lost all these things. This civilization is boring because it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have truth. It doesn't have beauty. It doesn't uh, have it, God. It, it, yeah, it doesn't have any or form of Or true nobility or virtue or bravery or... Or anything like this virtue, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, mm. And Mustafa, uh, Mustafa, to his credit, says that he's perfectly open to the idea of God, for example, mm. and he's perfectly open to these other things. But they don't fit the society. He says that. But they yeah, don't he fit says it to quote unquote, call it the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine, and universal happiness. You must make your choice. Our civilization has chosen machinery and medicine and happiness, and that's why I have to keep these books locked up in the safe. The books he's referring to, to are by. all the great works of literature, theology, mm. and you know anything worth reading. Um, now, what? Yeah. What, what I find interesting about this debate is that Mustafa makes a pretty convincing, on the face of it, a pretty convincing argument that basically humanity, um, in order to have truth and beauty, um, the price that's paid for these things is human suffering, uh, and that ultimately that's too high a price to pay. Um, that there's no longer any, I guess you could say, any problems with a lack of morality mm. because there's no need. He seems to, he says that there's, well, he doesn't say this directly, but there is no real need for, for morality. There's no real need for, for senses of truth or of beauty because the world works. Now, my... Yeah, with, ramp- with you know, very rampant consumerism that, you know, just becomes a self-perpetuating mm. cycle. But there's no, but his, his is, well, there's no wars. Yeah. There's no arguments. There's no fights. Everything seems to run quite perfectly fine. Mm. See, my, my issue here is that it never, Huxley, I don't know if he does this on purpose, but never actually, I think, gets to the crux with what I think is the big problem with the Brave New World society. Mm. And that is that they've gone to as much length as possible to remove two things from humanity, and that is the intellect and the will. Um, the intellect, because the truth is no longer an issue for them. Who cares about what the truth is? We condition people to think what we want them to think, yeah. and the world seems to function perfectly well, fine. And will, because you simply will what you're conditioned to will, um, and you simply have to accept your place in society. Um, ultimately, it has removed what it actually means to a human. Mm. The people of Brave New World are no more than animals from an Aristotelian perspective. They have no intellect. Well, they, they have an intellect and a will, but they don't utilise this intellect and will. Mm. When you look, you see that there is no sense of leisure in this society. No, it's all um, just... They simply go and play sports, which is, you know, like throwing a ball to a dog. Ultimately, what the society strikes me as, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Kiara Victoria, but you ever, like, played one of those video games like SimCity or something like that, and you've poured hours and hours and hours into this game, and you get to the end and you're like, why on earth did I just spend hours and hours and hours playing? Like, you've, you've smashed the game. Like, you know, you have won the game, the, the game, like, the SimCity is running itself, you know, you have, you have won the thing. 
The world of Brave New World just strikes me as a giant version of SimCity. There's no point, but hey, it works. The thing that I find most disturbing about them getting rid of intellect and will, though, is that although on one hand they, they think that they've sidestepped original sin, um, they've sidestepped problems of the world, but it's come at the, at the expense of humanity, and ultimately it's come at the expense of the capacity to love. Mm. There is no love in this society. No. Something that I find interesting, I don't know if you noticed this, Kiara, but after this fight that Mustafa, uh, this argument that Mustafa and John have, I make it sound like they were having a raging argument. Was like no, they weren't. It was a, it was an intellectual Is this when the guy debate. says we all love each other? It says here. So they, they come back, John and uh, Helmholtz and, um, and Bernard come back together and they're sort of talking to each other as this kind of like, this is their parting moment because Helmholtz and and Bernard have chosen to go into exile, um, and John is allowed to stay in England because he's going to be experimented on, which he skips anyway, and then heads out to, to the country England. But there's this paragraph here, sort of at the start of this chapter, where he says, there was silence, in spite of their sadness, because of it even, for their sadness was a symptom of their love for one another. The three young men were happy. I do recall there being the word love mentioned somewhere else in the book, and I can't remember where it's it is. It's the bit that I was talking about. When they break up the fight, I'm pretty sure whoever it is who's um, uh, calmed the whole situation says, now we all love each other, don't we? And they say, yes, we all love each other, or something to that effect. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's a moment here where they all, where they all love each other, because ultimately these three men are able to use their intellect and their will, but they're kicked out of society because of it. Um, well, if love is to will the good of the other, I would say that they're, they're loving each other at the moment because they do will the good of the other. And to me that there, there is But their no, will is so stunted that it's not... But there's no... For, for these guys, there is, there is love. But for the society, um, there is no love because there's no free will. They have done everything mm. in their capacity to remove the possibility of free will. Because at the end of the day, free will and ultimately love is quite a dangerous thing. And well, when you yes, look at, it's not good for stability. When, when you look at humanity, God created human beings not to be like the, the robots, the animals of the society of Brave New World, but he gave us an intellect and a will. And this is a very dangerous thing. And ultimately, we know that it was dangerous because man fell. Mm. Um, but that was what was required in order to love. And that's the problem that I have with um, uh, Mustafa, is that he completely misses this point. He sees that um, we've removed all the negativity from the world, but ultimately you've removed humanity from the world. You've removed well, and that's, that's precisely the point that Huxley was making. And this is one of the interesting things, this is one of the things that I like about Huxley, is that he tells the story to make a point not interrupts the story to make a point, like H.G. Wells does with communism springing up in your face all of a sudden in the middle of a good story. Um, Flashback. Yeah. Um, so Huxley make you know, Huxley is basically putting into the words of Mustafa the common themes that were going around 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 the time and you know c.s lewis picks up on this kind of theme as well and you see that in uh c.s lewis's sci-fi series um out of the silent planet is the first one and you get you know it's he's basically parroting all the things oh technology will rid us of human suffering human beings can be our own salvation and clearly he's going okay let's let's test that 
this is one of the great things about literature is you can you let's test this let's see what it might look might look like and so he creates so from his imagination he it's a pretty logical extension of what was going on in the 1930s and he basically makes it and you know and in the end of it i think he basically he's basically telling you he's like really this is what you want this is what you think the future will look like this is what you want the future to look like you know this seems really inhuman to me do you think though- and um you know it's in the end that's why john ends up in utter despair because even he can't escape the um even he can't even he can't escape the dehumanizing um force that is this society and you know he he gives into that despair which is quite tragic which you know is the book's tragic ending so um an interesting thing i don't know if Kara or victoria wants to comment on this but something that i found quite interesting about this was that i found myself at one point um there's a moment uh, there was a moment in the book where i kind of glanced over what it was talking about where it talks when one of the characters talks about um an abortion clinic um an abortion facility and i i sort of recall reading this part and um because it's within the context of all the other things that that the future contains um such as um there's no monogamy um there's no marriage um there's nothing of that kind of sort it's very much the, the sexual revolution ideology um, taken full pelt 30 years before the sexual revolution happened. Um, and but, but one of the characters mentions um, an abortion facility. And I, I, I don't really recall ever sort of... Because you're sort of reading through it and you're like, oh, okay, you know, like, this is what's problematic about this society. This is what's problematic. Oh, you can see he's sort of projecting things into the future here. Uh, something that made me think, like, reflect... When, when I saw that was, hang on a second, I'm looking at this book, of course, from the perspective of someone who was born in the early 90s. Um, and so I don't think I'm picking up on what Huxley's saying is going to happen in the future, like the the thing, the stark things about the future, um, whether he thinks they're good or bad, I'm not sure, but the stark things about the future, as well as someone who was reading this in, in the 1930s. Do you understand what I mean by that? So you were desensitized to the shock factor. I was de- I was desensitized because the one of the characters mentions the abortion facility in Chelsea. Mm. There's only one. Well, that's because they don't need more than one, really. But in the 1930s, would have abortion facilities been a been around? Facilities aside from like, of course, you had. You did have. I I I would imagine. I don't know this for historical fact, but I would imagine that there would be certain doctors in hospitals who would be performing those kinds of procedures. Probably okay. not for. Probably not for. Because there was, there wasn't really the law was really ambiguous at the time. It wasn't. Okay. It was. It was ambiguous. Um, it was pretty much don't get caught. In many regards, okay. um, most doctors wouldn't. Most doctors wouldn't because they took the Hippocratic Oath quite seriously. Um, and, you know, a lot of, do- you know, you couldn't pay doctors any amount of money for the potential to get caught and lose their license and all that sort of stuff. So that was, but I imagine that, I would imagine there would have been, so- there would have been so- an unofficial place just, to go I get it done. It, it would have been an unofficial place to go get it done. I just found it interesting because, like, you read through this book and you can kind of pick what are the things that Huxley's pointing out because he does sort of that would have been scandalous. There would have mm. been scandalous. A lot of and things have been scandalous part, at the time. I didn't. It sort of had. I had. I, I sort of recall like not quite. I don't know. So I guess it's interesting because it would. It's displaying. I suppose the method to see whether we're approaching the brave new world is this: with each generation, 
what becomes normal and what become and what is still, still shocking. shocking. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I find interesting is that like we, we can read this and we talked about how like, you know, we gave the heads up at the start that, you know, there's some things in this that are quite confronting. There's some things that I certain I find questionable and that kind of thing. I do wonder, like, outside of this context, the average man on the street would probably find less things questionable, mm. less things um, quite shocking. And I do wonder, like, as we're going into the future, would we reach a time where people would be struck? Obviously, things like worldwide gov- communist governments would probably still be, a- I can't imagine that being a thing in the near future, but um, that people would find the morality, rather, of Brave New World are we approaching sort of closer and closer to a point where people would have to struggle to understand why the world of the of the 1930s would have found this to be an absurd future? I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I'm glad and you're optimistic. I, no, I don't think so. And I don't think so because currently people tend to... What people believe about what is right and wrong and what they actually do these days, unfortunately, are often two different things. So I know there are people out there who would absolutely be, you know, horrified by the way that fertility is managed in this kind of world. Yet these same, you know, these same people out of sheer desperation and, you know, with the pain of infertility would go and get IVF done. They would not see the connection, the logic, they would not see the underlying ethical moral principles that allow them to, you know, permit themselves to access IVF. But also underpin that exact same society. People don't draw those connections, and because they're not drawing those connections, they will still find that shocking. Okay. If so that makes say sense. say that it's, it's the writ large factor of what's in Brave New World that would still be shocking to people. Yeah. However, the personal factor would be would be somewhat different. Yeah, and okay. I think and I think that's th- a rel- th- Do you think that's a relativism problem? It, or no, a, it's not a relativism. It's not. Problem? It's not a relativism or a subjectivism problem per se. It's the special pleading problem. It's okay. a logical fallacy at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's it's special pleading. It's making exceptions when yeah, you know yeah. you, when you sh- you know even though they're not logical. So I mean, not that I'm trying to minimise the the pain of cu- you know the pain of couples who are struggling with infertility, but um, it is something that way, the way artificial reproductive technologies work is that they operate on these ethical principles that it is okay to separate, um, pr- you know, the sexual act from procreation. And that is, and that has consequences that reverberates throughout society, whether you like it or not. Well, this, I guess the, um, the world, the world of brave, I guess in, in the situation of the individual couple, usually... The, the good that's being sought is the child. Um, is the child and the family. Yeah. The things that I can I can understand. I don't agree with, but I can see there's the, a certain level yeah. of um, it's a case of the ends towards those goods. Yeah, it's it's a case of the ends does not justify the means, the, and these the are the reasons well why is simply world stability. It's a rather well, abstract well, perpetuation. kind of dry yeah. thing. There's mm. no. It doesn't quite have as much of a. Um, there's no life to the, there's no life to this world. Yeah. There really isn't much life to this world. Like, yeah, sure, everybody seems happy and okay, but what's well, a hedonistic utilitarian well, society? Yeah, it's what it is. It's happiness in a utilitarian sense, not in an Aristotelian sense. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, it is. And this is kind of, and this is this is why this is a really interesting book to read in comparison to say another classic of this genre, which is um, George Orwell's 1984, because ideologically the political systems are quite distinct. 
Huxley goes the fascist route and Orwell goes the communist route. Mm. And eventually, look, let's put it this way, they're both pretty close to meeting each other in the circle. Because... There's actually, I'm going to find a quote, there's a fantastic quote about um, Orwell and Huxley kind of... Going around, well, they're, going they're... so far right and so far left, they meet in the middle. They're um... working in a, in a form of um, a dialogue, almost. Um... Yeah, so it's actually really, you know, reading this book without reading 1980. I, I highly recommend you actually pick up 1984 and also read that as well, because it provides a really fascinating commentary on the politics, not just of the 1930s, but the ideological battles that we have, the ideological spectrum that we have inherited now. Because um, mm. let's face it, we're still caught in this left-right dichotomy. Thanks, French Revolution. Um, <laughs> that's where it came from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, we've been stuck in this, you know, we've been stuck in this, you know, political division between left and right for the last three centuries and we can't seem to get out of it um, when the reality is when the world and politics and politicians and everybody else are far more complicated than simply left or right. Um, okay, I've got the quote. You got it's the from quote. Neil Postman, who's a social critic. What Orwell, fe- what Orwell feared uh, were those who would ban books, um, what... Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies and centrifugal, centrifugal uh, bumble puppy. Uh, those are all terms from the book, by the way. Yeah. Um, the internet and social media or anyone? Yeah, don't bag it out too much. Uh, We're on the internet. I know. Um, yeah, yeah, anyway, anyway, let's, let's, not, let's not go there. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. We, we, we're 35 minutes in, so we should probably finish it up. I feel like I talked for, like, 25 of those. Um, yeah, closing so, statements? Closing statements. Well, closing, mm. closing statements. Closing argument. Well, look, I would. I recommend... This book is something that everybody should read in their lifetime. I, thankfully, was forced to read it uh, for school, and it's one of the books that really, really had a... This book had a really dramatic impact on me and my, forma- and my formation, and... It really, really helped me understand. You know, it, it's it's eye opening and it's some really tough medicine to swallow because it sh- does it does make you think about who we are, where we're going. And this book is old; it's quite old, and yet the questions it the, the questions that it raises are still extremely relevant for today. Well, and that's a very in- 1932. Yeah. So it was really the start of the not the start, but definitely one of the forming. Um, texts in the canon of this dystopian um where is progress taking us yeah uh, discussion post war post post world war one the 20th century is you know started with lots of hope and now post world war one post depression well particularly post world war one because the depression was a product of the first world war Mm -hmm. um in many ways yeah it's um yeah so that's that's a um so yeah, it yeah it's a seminal text in dystopian literature. So if you haven't read it and you're into dystopian literature, get the a copy of this book yeah. mm. while you still can, <laughs> um, <laughs> while you still can. have the desire to do so. <laughs> All right, um, I just to close up. I was listening to an interview with Aldous Huxley, and he was being interviewed by by an American, and he said. This is how you thought the world was going to be in 600 years' time. 
do you still believe this? And he said, and this interview was done 25 years after it was published in 1932, and so in the 50s, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm so scared by how quickly we are progressing towards the brave new world that if I was to write it now, I would have set it 200 years into the future. And it's interesting, I wonder what he would say now. Because quite frankly, when I was reading this, and a friend of mine very graciously read out a little bit of this to me in the car while we were driving. And she uh, had made the mistake of a life too. <laughs> <laughs> she did get to read a little bit of the, the labor- laboratory scenes. And she said, this, is, this doesn't sound dystopian to me. This sounds like what you hear on the news. Or what you hear, what you hear is happening in various laboratories overseas. In a certain de- to a certain degree, the, yeah, and it was interesting. So I didn't find we didn't we didn't find that part too shocking anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my, well, if you're used to if you're familiar with dystopian literature too, it, it's not particular. It's not it's not exactly we a new must idea. factor that in. Yes. Yeah, if, and particularly today, like you got The Walking Dead nowadays, and you know Falling mm. Skies, a whole bunch of other. Yeah, no, but the is- whole the whole test tube baby artificial. Um, uh, Reproduction. Reproduction. That's not as shocking anymore. No. Well, it's 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 done. It's been done. It's done. Yeah, it's been done. So that's yeah, that's not so shocking anymore. And it's you know lots of lots of you know lovely little children have been created that way. Unfortunately, you know, fortunately, yes, lots and... of lovely little children. But um, the method is um, the method is sadly... certainly not great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've said enough. I don't need to have any concluding remarks. I think I've, I've used up my words. Aristotle. I've That's your concluding remark. Oh, actually, I have one more concluding remark. Oh, you can, I, I pass you no, my no, no, concluding this, remark. There it's just an item of, um, of, of interest, but Aldous Huxley died on the same day as C.S. Lewis, which oh. was also the same day that JFK was assassinated. There you oh, go. There you go. That's why we never... Closing ever... remark. Yeah, there you okay. go. Okay. All right, what are we doing next time? time? So next time, you know what? Do you reckon we should do 1984, or are we just like a bit? Or are we just, or are we just are, for punishment? Are we, are we just like? I think uh, we should leave some space, uh, just a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do, do you want to do one of those um, short stories that you were talking about before? By Jean Wolfe. Yeah. Um, fantasy author. How do you yeah, feel about that? Yeah, let's go for it. Not not Tolkien kind of fantasy. Different kind of fantasy. Different kind of fantasy. It's okay. Yeah. Surprise me. Okay. Okay. All right, I'll Done. find a short story. It'll be a mystery story. short story by Gene Wolfe coming there to you go. next that's, time. That's a lot more like specific than our usual mystery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so see you next time. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.